0: Good morning. Hey, thanks for joining us. Thanks for tuning in. Um, our Bible reading this morning is from First Peter chapter one, verses eighteen to nineteen. At the end of the reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord, and I encourage you wherever you are sitting, standing, lying down at to say thanks be to God. Alright. So First Peter chapter 1, verses 18 to 19. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed. From the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors but with the precious blood of christ a lamb without blemish or defect this is the word of the lord thanks be to god right so good morning again my name is emmanuel um if you're not familiar with us if you're just tuning in or someone tricked you i like to say that one i don't know why but someone tricked you into joining us um, thank you for tuning in. My name is Emmanuel and I serve on the leadership team at um, City Church. And So today is Good Friday and Christians all over the world mark the death of Christ on a day like this. And so you might be wondering, especially if you're not a Christian, what's with all the obsession with morbidity? Why you know, pay so much attention to someone's death, it's death we're talking about, um, particularly in times like this. Or maybe you're a Christian and, and and so yeah for you so maybe you're wondering so yeah why pay so much attention to death? What's good about Good Friday, the day when someone died? Or maybe you're a Christian and you actually know the answer to that, but you're wondering is there anything actually good about this Friday or any other day for for for, for, for a fact because of all that's going on in the world at this time? Yeah, so what's good about Good Friday? Yeah, So this reminds me, I mean, it reminds me of a story of something that actually happened to me a couple of years back while I was still in the university. At the time, the Christian faith was becoming real to me and Christ was becoming just so much treasure to me. And I wanted everyone around me to know it. And so I got a wooden cross, a crucifix, and I attached it to my backpack or school bag, as Nigerians would call it. And so I carried that with me pretty much everywhere I went. And I remember, at some point, running into a friend on another campus, um, in another school, and I was with this backpack and she said, ah, what's, what's with this thing? Now, the thing about this friend was that she, we had gone to secondary school together and she wasn't a Christian at the time but had now become a Christian and in university and she was on fire for Christ, like on fire. And here she's asking me, like, why do you have a cross on your back? the point of the story is not so much about the cross, but how she actually responded. So I, 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 I try to explain to her why and how central the cross is to her faith, but then she concludes with these words. She wasn't having a return. She concludes with these words. My Jesus is no longer in the grave. And maybe you're like that, you're wondering, yeah, yeah, it's like, why are we even marking Good Friday? Why are we even paying so much attention to Good Friday? Why can't we just skip over to Resurrection Sunday as it is now called? you see the christian faith the bible actually tells us that there is only a resurrection because there was first a death and this passage actually shows us that jesus died to give us something that money cannot buy and i think that's what peter is getting at the heart of today um, in this passage as we'll see Um, and he presents two truths for the audience he's writing to for his readers. First he says that we have total futility and so I call my first point total futility and the second he says we've been ransomed from futility and so yes, my second point is ransomed from futility. So total futility and ransom from futility and the title of the sermon is what money cannot buy. So let's just say what, a quick word of prayer and ask the Lord for his help as we go in. Lord, it's Good Friday. We ask that you help us to see your goodness today, the goodness of your Son dying for us and redeeming us. And help us in these few minutes, so oh God, that your word will become true and clear and living to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. And so maybe it's just helpful to do a little bit of a quick refresher, particularly if you're not part of our community of faith and you're just tuning in. So over the last about six, seven weeks now, we've been going through the book of 1 Peter. Um, And what we've seen so far is that Peter is actually writing to a group of Christians scattered all around the Roman Empire as it was at the time. And these people are actually people who are being persecuted, people who are suffering for their Christian identity. And of all the things Peter could actually say to them in this verse, we see that he's actually telling them what they have not been saved by. He doesn't give them a strategic plan on how to overthrow the government. He doesn't give them a strategic plan on how they can actually succeed or move ahead or be relevant in their society, even though some of the things he's actually going to tell them actually will prove eventually, especially if you're familiar with history, that Christians actually have always been very relevant in their society. But that's not what Peter is at pains to show these people here. He's showing them actually that there is something that money cannot buy and that's what they can and so what does Peter do? You know, he recognizes the tendency of his readers and of our own selves, even in these modern times, to look to other things that can actually us. And so you see in verse 18, he says, For you know that it was not a perishable thing, such as silver or gold, that were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. And so Peter knows that these people who are going through so much difficulty and pain, there is a tendency for them to think that the solution to their problem is silver or gold. And silver or gold here is representative of money, possessions, status and all the things people in that particular Roman society at the time were looking to actually give them a good stead in society. And Peter says to these guys, you have not been bought or saved by any of these things. And friends, isn't is the same for us as well, that we look to our money, to our fame, to material things, to our possessions, to our connections, to actually save us. We invest in our connections and we are constantly monitoring our investments. And we are constantly oiling the grease of our machinations because we believe those are the things that will actually give us redemption. Peter says, no, it's none of these things. How does Peter describe his attempts? In verse 18, it says they are perishable. And he says they are perishable because, one, they don't last. They are perishable because they don't last. Now, in history, few people are actually more committed to the preservation of silver and gold than the ancient Egyptians. In fact, their, their, their commitment to this is so legendary that every now and then and even as recently as last year, we keep finding um, treasures, silver and gold, that have been buried with previous pharaohs in Egypt in the tombs and pyramids. And the idea was that these things actually would buy them passage in the life to come as they travelled, you know, after their death. But we know those things didn't work because Those bodies have decayed, they have now been mummified, and yet those treasures are left behind. And Peter says, these things actually do not last, they actually don't buy you anything. And he says, every attempt of our life to actually get satisfaction, to find redemption, to find relevance, to actually find deliverance in our finances in our fame, in the pursuit of the things that everyone else actually looks to. He says those things are beautiful. But Peter gives a second reason, a more explicit reason that you see in the text. It says again in verse 18, it says that those things are perishable because they do not redeem you from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors so what Peter is saying here is that these things are perishable because they actually don't deal with what is wrong with us. What is wrong with us, you might be asking. Well, verse 18 says, there is an empty way of life that has been handed down to us by our ancestors. Now, when he says way of life, or well, he's talking about ancestors. He's not talking about your culture. He's not talking about primarily you as an Ibibio, or as an igala or or as a tea person or even as a Nigerian. He's saying, he's referring to your, my humanness. He's saying that by virtue of being human, there is an empty way of life that's been handed down to us. But what does he mean by empty way of life? And the picture here is, is something like a business executive. Who has to travel to a very remote village because of his clients, um, to, to to do due do, do diligence on his client's property. And so imagine this person, he's woken up from his house at 5 a.m., driven all the way to Mutala Muhammad Airport, to the, the domestic wing, and then he's waited um, for his airline. I don't know, I don't want to mention him, but you know there's an airline that always ships their flights um, every time, no matter how early you get there. And so god bless him he's flown he's flying one of these airlines and so his flight is already delayed but then he eventually gets on and then he travels by air for more than an hour he gets to where he, he gets to the closest village to where he's going or the closest town to where he's going gets in the car rides for another three hours eventually gets to where he's going and then does his job and at the end of the day this person is so fatigued this person is so tired and then he goes to find a hotel and he says, I just need a room, I need a room, please, I need somewhere to sleep. And then they say, oh, a room, okay, yeah, we have a room, room 206 or whatever. And they give the person a room. Imagine the expectation this person has. The person is walking to this room, like, I'm actually going to, for the first time today, lie down and sleep sound. And the person opens the door and the person finds that, yes, he's been given a room. But as all that's all he's been given, just the room. The room is empty. There's no bed, no furniture, nothing. Imagine the anger, imagine the disappointment. Imagine how the person actually presents. And Peter is saying, like, look guys, this is the empty way of light that's been handed down to us. It may have structures, it may have things um, um, that, that that seem to be holding it, holding it up. All those things are actually empty. Or, or like me, um, a few years ago as well, when I was doing my NYC, I had I was posted to somewhere where I didn't have any relatives or didn't know anyone. But my uncle knew someone there who was kind enough to give us a house. Well, it wasn't just a house anyway; it was a house in Jerry. And so imagine me as an NYC guy. Like I was dreaming. Like praise God, man! I'm going to live in Jerry. I'm going to this NYC time is going to be so fly. And then I get the keys, and then we're going there. And I get to the place, and the, the first thing I noticed was that there were chickens outside the door, and there was chicken poop outside the door. And my mind was being told, like, man, everything is about to go wrong. But I was still hopeful, I was still excited. And then I get in the house, get to the room that we've actually been given. I open the door, and it's horrible. That's just what I can see. There's a bed there, but the bed is full of rat poop, it's full of cockroaches, the toilet is so black and dark, everything is upside down. There were things in that room, but for all practical purposes, they were empty. And Peter is saying that, look guys, this is what every attempt to find redemption outside of Christ is. It is empty. It is worthless. It is void. In fact, another translation, the ESV says, it is a futile way of life inherited from our forefathers. And you might be saying, well, yeah, but I thought the problem that we have is sin, the things that we do that we're not meant to do. And you're correct, actually. The problem we have is sin, and that's what Peter is getting at here. But Peter is showing us in a clever way that sin is not just the transgressing of God's commands. It is an attempt to live our life apart from God. And so we realize very quickly that we are not just reluctant inheritors. It's not, it's not as though there was a future way of life passed down to us that we didn't really want to have anything to do with, but we just had to manage because our parents gave it to us, or our ancestors gave it to us. No, actually, we see that we are particles in that utility as well. We are active participants as well. In fact, if you look in verse 14, Peter says that there is an evil desire that actually comes with people the following human nature as well. And so we see that we are, we are inheritors of this futile way of life but we are also participants of this futile way of life. And friends, don't we know this from both the Bible and human experience? Haven't we heard of people who were once oppressed? And then when they found their freedom, they became oppressors as well. The classic story of Robert, Robert Mugabe and, and Zimbabwe, where the, the, the blacks in, in and Mugabe as well were oppressed by the white Rhodesian government. And when eventually they were given their, their um, independence in 1980, Robert Mugabe became one of the most evil tyrants that country has ever known. And so we see that it is not just that people do bad things to us, it is also that we do bad things as well. This futility is shown sometimes in the way that we dislike or hate people who are very different from us. I remember just at the start of um, the lockdown, just a few days before the the official federal government lockdown was announced, Lagos had already put some policies in place so things were beginning to shut down as well so my wife asked me to go to the market, and I did a a street-side market in Maryland. And as I was buying the things that my wife asked me to um, help purchase for the household, I heard this woman, a hawker, who was um, selling stuff. She was saying in Yoruba how that this disease, this coronavirus, is good for all those who have stolen the wealth and embezzled the, the, the income of our country. And she was saying how that it's only rich people, it's only those people who have fattened themselves off from the coffers of our country that actually will get this thing. And she was saying to herself and to her friend that we cannot get this thing because we are poor, because we don't have anything. And you see, for me it was a stark reality about how that this futile way of life is revealed even in how we treat people who are different from us. Yes, they may have done things that are bad. But well, how do we respond as well? The Bible says that it is futility. It is an empty way of life. This futility is revealed in our selective obedience of God's law. And so you may, you may have heard or you know or just think about someone who calls themselves a virgin. I won't sleep with anyone before my I won't sleep with anyone that I'm not meant to sleep with. But the person is rude. The person is lacks at work. The person is lazy. And so they selectively choose what aspect of God's law to obey and they disobey the others. Or maybe someone who is an entrepreneur and the person tithes regularly, the person gives gener- generously to God's work. The, but the person withholds their employee's salary. And the person has really tough policies, terrible policies at work. Selectively obeying God's commands. Or sometimes this futility is, showing in the motivations for the, is shown in the motivations for the good things that we do as well. And so, somebody can be generous, but they're only generous because they actually want people to think well of them. Or someone can be very hardworking and excellent at the things they do, but they're only doing it because they're actually trying to make a point to someone else. Peter says, this is a futile way of life. Handed down to us by our ancestors, but also something we actually participate in. And friends, the prophet Isaiah captures this very well in Isaiah 53, verse 6. He says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And so we see that our futility is not only the things that, that have been done to us, but the things we do as well. And even our good deeds, our good deeds, the things we do, they are so despicable before God because many times we are trying to find redemption in those good things rather than in God. So Peter says, these things are perishable because they actually don't last beyond this life and they don't actually deal with what is wrong with us. It's like someone who has cancer or takes Panadol. The Panadol can actually deal with the headache, but it doesn't cure the cancer. And Peter says, guys, this is a futile way of life. It is perishing. It is empty. It is worthless. It may look good on the outside, like a beautiful house. It may have really fine structures externally, but it's hollow inside. It's empty. And Peter says, this is what is wrong with us. Total futility. Now I come to my second point, redeemed from futility. So we see that Peter has shown us how total futility actually plagues all of us and this is what makes us rebels against God. And friends, rebels must face judgement because they have sinned and they are looking to perishable things to redeem them. But there's good news. And Peter says, there's something that redeems us from our futility. Something money cannot buy. So if you read verses 18 and 19 together, it says, You were redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And Maybe you're not a Christian, or maybe you're a very moral person. And you're wondering, why the blood bloodletting? Why can't God just wave his wand in the sky and, and let all of this disappear? Why can't he just forgive us? But well, you see, the problem with that question is it it, it, that it doesn't consider the great assault upon God that sin is. It's like someone who has committed treason. The problem is not just what they have done, whether it is... Uh, um, um, access to official secrets and giving someone else or trying to assassinate the president or something else. Or trying to cause a coup or whatever else. It's not just what they have done, it is who they have done it against. And friends, sin is a great assault because it is an assault on an infinitely holy and righteous God. And so we see that if we are ever to be cured of the total futility that plagues us, We must be cured with something that is imperishable, something that lasts beyond this life, and something that actually deals with what is wrong with us. And friends, Peter says, this imperishable thing is the precious blood of Jesus Christ. But notice how Peter describes Jesus. He calls him a lamb without blemish or defect. And here, Peter is speaking up on Jewish imagery. He's alluding to the fact that in the Old Testament, God had made a way for his people to find atonement by offering a lamb on the day of atonement, the lamb that would be killed and slaughtered as the sacrifice for their sin. But this lamb had to be pure. This lamb had to be without effect. And Peter says, guys, Jesus Christ is this lamb that is actually offered not just as a sacrifice for a while." not just as a sacrifice for some time, not even just as a sacrifice that lets you have a passage through all of it. Like he says, no, 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 this is a lamb that is offered without blemish or defect. It lasts both in this time and in the time to come. And I can imagine Peter as he's writing these words, he's thinking about that very first Friday, that good Friday where Jesus was crucified. And the good thing is that we don't have to imagine what Peter is imagining because Peter actually tells this story to his disciple, Mark, who writes it down in his gospel, the gospel of Mark, particularly in chapters 14 and 15. And you can go and read it later on. And you see, Mark records that in chapter 15, verse 15, that Jesus is scourged and beaten, brutally beaten. In verse 23, Jesus is given, as he's nailed to the cross, Jesus is given my um, wine mixed with myrrh, which was a, a, a mixture that was meant to alleviate his pain. It was meant to be like a painkiller, to numb him. And Jesus says, no, I'm not going to have any of you. I'm going to drink this cup that has been given to me. In verses 33 to 34, we are told that Jesus is there for three hours ec- ec- experiencing the condemnation and the penalty that was due us in himself. And it was so great and so painful that at some point Jesus actually cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus experiences what we ought to have experienced. Jesus takes on the punishment that we ought to have taken on. Jesus takes on the punishment that was due people like you and I. Who have lived all of our lives in total futility seeking redemption in other things aside from God and friends he was paying it with a blood with his life that was imperishable and you see sin is only ever small when we don't consider the cost that it demands the cost that it requires and it took the life of the only begotten Son of God, the only purest person to have ever walked the face of the earth. <sighs> Some of you may have heard of the movie Schindler's List. Schindler's List is one of the greatest movies of the last decade. and Possibly, I think, the greatest movies of all time. It's... a uh, story that tells a movie that tells in fact so it's actually so great that it actually wins seven oscars that's 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 a talk on that well it's um it's a movie that tells the true story of oscar schindler a german businessman who during the second world war um used his uh business or, or planned to save lots of jews and so the movie starts by showing Schindler who is this great and successful businessman who is into ports and NMLware. So ports, pans and different things and he employs people to work for him. Along the way, um, the Hitler's government sends a commander to where, where um, Schindler was living to actually start a camp. And so this guy comes. But this guy is a ruthless and crazy guy. And this commander is so ruthless and crazy and demonic and deranged and all the bad things you can ever think about. That when he wakes up in the morning, how he actually, we normal human beings take coffee. How this guy gets started in the morning is that he actually just shoots people at random. And so he sits on um, on his veranda and looks out and then he sets his target and he just kills somebody at random. In fact, he's so ruthless that at some point he goes into the town and he's just killing people. He just tells his soldiers to just be killing Jews. So Schindler sees this and he decides he has to do something. He's moved, and so he he concocts a plan, which he he actually designs to um, employ lots of Jews who work in his factory, and um, he he does this under the guise that. They're actually working to aid the German economy and to produce things so that the war airports can actually advance. And at the end of the day, Schindler actually saves about one thousand, more than a thousand Jews. And so eventually the war ends, um, the, the Jews are set free, and we see at one of the very last scenes, as the war ends, and Schindler is actually releasing the people. He begins to weep and to cry these surviving Jews are gathered around him and they are thanking him for what he did and he begins to weep and to cry and he says i wish i could have done more i wish i could have done more you see Schindler gave his status his money all that he had so that he could see people saved he actually even became bankrupt in doing this You know, as great as that story is, it doesn't come anywhere close to what Jesus Christ actually did for us. Jesus Christ did not just give of his own money. He did not give of his own status. He did not even just give of his own finances. Jesus gave his life for you and I. Oscar Schindler gave it for people based on their qualifications, the fact that they were Jews. Jesus looked at us and gave his life for us based on our disqualifications, the fact that we were sinners engaged in futility. Oscar Schindler weeps at the end of the movie and he's crying, I wish I could have done more, I wish I could have done more. Jesus Christ at the end of his life on the cross, he actually cries out, it is finished. He wasn't giving his life as an attempt to save us. He was giving his life as a certainty, a banker to save us and redeem us from our futility. And friends, Jesus dealt with your futility and mine. Jesus dealt with us looking to other things to redeem us. Jesus dealt with this by giving us what money cannot buy. He gave his life So that we can become ransomed from our futility my friends that's what good friday is all about that's what we mark on a day like this that god in christ takes on the punishment that we deserve the rightful punishment that we deserve and he gives us his life so that we can become his children And I want to implore you, if you are not a Christian, if you are not a believer in Christ, that you trust in Christ. All the things you are looking to, all the things that you are looking for redemption from, all the things you are looking for satisfaction in, those things are perishable. Money can buy those things. And what money can buy cannot give you what money cannot buy, you see. Can I ask you to trust in Christ today? But if you're a Christian, you've trusted in Christ, but the the, the good news, this, this, this is no longer good news to you. Your joy, the joy of your salvation, the joy of being ransomed and redeemed by Christ has been shadowed by other things. Your consideration for your life, your consideration for your survival, your consideration for your children's advancement, your consideration for your own health. Can I ask you to look to Christ again today? He has ransomed you from futile ways. He has redeemed you too. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.